I was out of town this past week, and I'm really, really glad to be back with you. And um, as I travel, I don't know if you're like this, any time I travel for a significant amount of time, I tend to get sick. I Like, either when I'm going there or when I'm coming home, am I the only one, anyone else in here like that when you travel, you get sick? That's what's up. All right, we got a couple of you. We're all broken in the same way. And so, like, that's what I do. I I don't know why, but I get sick. So we came back Tuesday night, and immediately I had this, like, sinus infection on Wednesday morning. And, and in fact, today's the first time I've left the house since Tuesday, so it's good to see all of you. There are birds outside. It was nice, right? Like it was like the, the world kept on spinning. But I think the hardest thing about being sick for me and the hardest thing about bouncing back from being sick is that you have a limited amount of energy, right? Like you have a limited, because your body's using all that energy to fight the virus or whatever it is you've got. And so, and so it's, it's hard because you have to make decisions because it's such a limited resource. And so this past week I, I had thoughts like, do I use my energy to read this book? Do I use my energy to watch this TV show? Do I use my energy to play this game with my kids? Or, or even do I use this energy just to take a shower today? My wife helped me with that. She said, yes, you do. And so like, I, but, but the reality is whether you are, are healthy or not, we all have a limited amount of energy and attention. But do you, do you ever think, do you ever stop and think, what am I giving that energy to? What am I giving that attention to? Well, what Paul is telling Timothy, what we're looking at today, Paul is telling Timothy that there are things in this world that are not worth your attention, that are not worth your energy. Instead, I want you to give it to something of supreme value. And I think what he's calling Timothy to do is the same thing that we are called to do with the the limited amount of energy and attention that we have as well. So I want to look at it with you. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. Let's start there. And it says this, but have nothing to do with pointless and silly myths. Rather, train yourself in godliness. So he points out pointless and silly myths. What's he talking about? Well, a couple weeks ago, remember we talked about the fact that there was false teaching happening within the church and they were, they were arguing about, you know what, you can't eat this certain type of food, you shouldn't get married, and all these other things. And Paul says, this is pointless and this is silly. Don't enter into that way of thinking. Don't give your energy to that. Don't give your attention to that at all. And, and in our church, I hope that we don't have pointless and silly myths that are being taught. I hope we don't have false teaching here. No one in here is talking to you about what you should eat and what you shouldn't eat. No one in here is telling you you shouldn't get married. So I hope that's not it. However, each and every one of us absolutely has pointless and silly things that are constantly vying for our attention and vying for our energy, don't we, right? Like every single one of us, like Netflix is after you, right? Like there is an algorithm that is watching you and trying to get you to to give your attention here, give your energy here. But there's other things in our lives, like worry. How many of you worry has the majority of your energy these days? Or, or, or maybe it's, it's anger or holding a grudge. Or, or maybe it's social media or any number of other things that we, we give all of our energy to or we give all of our attention to. What Paul is saying is he says, don't do that. Like live intentionally. Don't give your energy and don't give your attention to these pointless and silly things. Instead, what do we give it to? He says here, train yourself. Oh, sorry, go back. I, I got gotcha. you. Train yourself in godliness. Train yourself in godliness. And why does he say that? Why does he say that's so important? Well, go to the next verse, verse 8, and, and he tells us why. For the training of the body has limited benefit, but godliness is beneficial in every way, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So he compares this spiritual training, this training in godliness, to training your body physically, right? And he says, look, training your body physically, sure, that's important, but what's way more important is training in godliness, because that has value for this life and the next. And so look, this is just my interpretation. 
Not everyone's going to agree with it, but here's, how, here's what I'm interpreting this verse as saying. That we don't have to work out. If you're a Christian, you don't have to work out. Who's with me? Let's go get milkshakes, right? Yeah, right? No, that's not what he's saying. No. He's saying, no, it's important. It's important to train your body. But even more important is training in godliness because that has an impact that goes far beyond this life that we're living right now. So we need to understand what it is. What is godliness? Do you have a quick like definition of it? I, I know I, I certainly didn't coming into this week. I was like, I don't, being like God, I don't know. What is, what is godliness? Well, I've been uh, doing a lot of funerals lately. I think I've done more funerals this year than I have in the previous four years combined since I've been here at Grace. And, and unfortunately, a lot of those funerals have been family funerals. And that's, that's where we were this past week. And we buried my grandmother. Or I'm from Tennessee, so my mama. Uh, but we, we, we buried my mama. And, you know, being at funerals a lot, one of the things it does is it gets you to start thinking, what are people going to say about me, right? Because that's what I do everywhere I go. What are they thinking about me? No, so, like, when you're at funerals, you start to think, what are people going to stand up and say about me? Have you thought about that? Have you thought about what people will say at your funeral? I've certainly thought of it. I want them to say, he was a great father, he was a great husband, he was a great grandfather. Now, look, I know, I'm not there yet. I'm just hoping to live long, right? Like, he was a great 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 grandfather you know what I mean like I want them to say he was the healthiest 120 year old who ever lived right like and it was a tragedy he died in that motorcycle accident but like if he had just tried to jump one less bus he'd still be here so anyway like I but seriously I have a twin brother and what I want them to say at my funeral is man he really was the better twin you know what I mean like that's it I know it's petty but it's real all right like that's how I feel you know, one of the things people say at funerals all the time, especially Christian funerals, they'll say, this woman was a godly woman, or this man was a godly man. That is something I want someone to say about me. I want them to say that, that I lived a godly life. What does that mean, though? What does that mean? When we say that, are we saying, well, they are like God? I guess somewhat we're saying that, right? Because there's something about their life that reflected God. But we aren't God clones. We aren't, we aren't ever going to be just like him. There is only one God and he is eternal. There's always more to discover. There's always more to learn about him. And thank God for that. So, so instead, like, what are we saying when we say someone is godly? Well, maybe the best way to figure that out is why don't we look at someone in the scripture who we would describe their life as godly. And maybe we'll get an understanding. Maybe we'll find a definition of godliness. Spoiler, we will find a definition, all right? Like, I'm not leading you down this path without us going somewhere. We will. And so I was thinking, who could we look at real quick? Just someone real quick to look at. And I was thinking an Old Testament character, maybe everyone in this room's favorite Old Testament character. In fact, I bet this person's so much a favorite that they're on your mind all the time. And so here we go. On the count of three, let's just say their name together. You ready? Because I know we're all thinking it. One, two, three, Enoch. Where were you guys? Where were you guys on that? Come on, Enoch? You're not, you're not thinking about Enoch. What is wrong with you? In Genesis chapter five, there's three verses about Enoch's life. That's all we get. We know he's the father of Methuselah, like the oldest recorded person in the scriptures. But in these three verses, it tells us two things. It says this thing twice about him, that Enoch walked with God. It says it twice. In three verses about him, two times it says he walked with God. If you fast forward to Hebrews chapter 11, we have the hall of fame of faith. And Enoch's name is there. This guy that we only had three verses about, his name is there. And here's what it says about him. That he is the one who pleased God. That's how it describes Enoch. So we see two things about his life. This is all we know. Is that he walked with God and he pleased God in his life. And so one of the things that this shows us is that Enoch's life must have been centered around God. He must have lived a very God-centered life. And so I think when we look at his life, we would say, well, that's a godly man. 
Like that was a godly life. So this is, this is how I would define godliness, is just like that. I would define godliness as God-oriented living. I think that's what godliness is. It's God-oriented living. It's living with your lives oriented around God, having God at the center of our lives, which shouldn't be a surprising idea to us. I mean, when you think about all of Scripture speaks to this in some way, whether you're looking at the prophets in the Old Testament or even the teachings of Jesus who tells us to seek his kingdom first, right? So this shouldn't be a shocking thing. Maybe there's a Scripture that pops in your brain that you're familiar with. This is in Proverbs chapter 3 that I think illustrates this. It tells us this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him he'll make straight your paths in all your ways live a god-oriented life in all your ways center your life around him right and so training yourself in godliness is training yourself to live a more god-oriented life a life that's more oriented to the ways of god and the things of god right so what does that look like well what does it mean when we say training well, I mean, we're all, we all experience training in different parts of our lives, right? Maybe in your workplace or in your personal life. And so, so what is training? Let's put up a definition of training. Training is to arrange your life around certain exercises and experiences that will enable you to eventually do what you're not yet able to do. And we've all experienced this in different areas of our lives. Who in here, this is not a time to brag, this is just being truthful. You're not bragging if you raise your hand. Who in here plays an instrument? Raise your hand. Keep your hand up. Come on, put your hand up. Put your, keep it up. Keep it up. Keep it up. Anna, do you see all these hands? Look at it. We got a band going. What are you doing sitting out there? We're about to have earth, wind, and fire up here, right? So let me ask you, those who play an instrument, the day one you started playing that instrument, could you do then what you can do now with that instrument? Could you do then what you can do now? Of course not. What happened? You practiced. You oriented your lives around certain exercises and experiences that enabled you eventually to do what you couldn't do. When I was uh, early in high school, I decided I wanted to play guitar. Because I had looked at my reflection and I was like, why would a girl ever talk to this? And then I was like, put it behind a guitar. And so I went, I got a guitar, I started taking lessons and I asked my guitar teacher, I said, how often do I practice? And he says, you only need to practice on the days that you plan on eating. And I was like, got it. All right. So every day, right? And so again, what is he saying? He's saying this. That you are to orient your lives around this exercise and this experience so that you'll be able to do the thing that you can't do, right? And we all experience it. So maybe, maybe instrument's not a thing. What about physically? With diets and working out and things like that. We, we get that, right? There's a training there. My favorite videos to watch on social media are the body transformation videos. You know what I'm talking about? It starts off with somebody and they're like overweight and they're out of shape and it just says above their head, day one. And then um, and for the next 60 seconds, you listen to a Katy Perry song and you watch like their entire life go by, right? A year, a year of their life go by and they're working out and they're eating different and they're whatever. And by the end of that video, they're just like all like shredded up and they're like, and you could do it too. You know, like every single one of those. I find those videos inspiring. And you go, well, what's it inspired you to do? Well, inspired me to tell you about it. You know what I mean? Like, so that's something. Maybe get off my back a little bit. But yeah, like, I mean, that's, it's an inspiring thing. And, and, and here's what it is. It's training. That's what training is. It's orienting your lives around a certain exercise and experiences that will enable you to do one day what you can't do now. Uh, Jerry Rice, who is a Hall of Fame wide receiver, he says, today I'll do what others won't, so tomorrow I can do what others can't. And this same thinking around training applies to our spiritual life too. We talk about training in godliness. So what does it mean then to train in godliness? So here it is. 
Training for godliness is to arrange our lives around certain exercises and experiences that will help us live more God-oriented lives. So it's to, again, reorient our lives around certain experiences and and, uh, exercises that will help us live a more God-oriented life. So what are those for you? What are those exercises? What are those experiences that help you orient your life more around God and his wisdom. What are those things? Now, for some of you, probably what pops in your mind immediately are what we would call like traditional spiritual disciplines. You go, well, I I need to pray. You're right. That's great. That's a wonderful thing. I need to meditate on, on God's scripture more. I need to think more about it. You absolutely do. That's great. Maybe it's Christian community. I need to be in Christian community. I need to be known by other Christians and they need to, and I need to know them. You're exactly right. Corporate worship. Yeah, what we're doing right now. Congratulations. You're doing it, right? Like we, this is absolutely, these are things. But I bet there are other things as well. There are other things in our life, other experiences and exercises that you and I could prioritize in our lives that will help us, that will train us in godliness, that will help us live more God-oriented lives. And you may not traditionally think about them as spiritual disciplines, but they are because they are leading you to the same place. And so maybe they look like this. Maybe you need to just prioritize time with good friends who will support you and help you. Maybe it's asking for help and support from other Christian brothers and sisters. Maybe it's just being generous. Maybe it's being alone, practicing solitude. Maybe it's being in nature or practicing gratitude or practicing patience or even kindness. All of life presents opportunities for training in godliness if we will take them, right? If we will take them. Because that's all we're talking about. We're talking about experiencing, having these experiences and these exercises in our lives that help us reorient our life around God and his way of doing things. And so I I was recently talking to a parent um, of a newborn, not the O'Hearns, another one. There's babies everywhere. Uh, But I was talking to a parent parent of a newborn who said they were feeling a lot of guilt uh, because they, um, they said that they used to have this, this exercise that they would do every day that would help them orient their lives around God more, and they haven't been doing it. They said every morning they used to wake up, and they would pray, and they would read their Bible, and they'd journal about it. And I was like, well, you're uh, more spiritual than me, uh, and so I'd like to introduce you to your new pastor. No, uh, so... They, would, like, they, they said, I used to do this, but now, since the baby's come along, all, all I can do is either I'm taking care of the baby or I'm unconscious. Like, these are the choices, right? And I was like, yeah, I completely get it. And I said, but don't you see that taking care of your child is an opportunity to, to have an exercise that will help you live a more God-oriented life? Like, don't you see that, that taking care of your child gives you an opportunity to practice patience that you couldn't practice when you're reading your Bible by yourself? Don't you see that taking care of your child is an opportunity for you to practice self-giving love in a way you can't do when you're journaling by yourself? This is absolutely a moment for training. This is an opportunity for you to to be more God-oriented in the way that you live your life. You know, Jesus told us, he said, come follow me. He didn't say, come follow me to church and let's be all churchy. Instead, he said, come follow me. Follow me everywhere. All of life presents an opportunity for us to train, an opportunity for us to see the world from God's perspective, an opportunity for us to turn our attention off of the the things that are pointless and silly in our life and onto the things that really matter and to see the world through his eyes, to live more God-oriented lives. So what that means is is our entire lives, the mundane things of our life have now been transformed. Like, Like cleaning your house is now 
an opportunity to, to train yourself in gratitude if you will take it and spend that time thanking God for all he's provided. Spending time in nature is an opportunity now for you to train yourself in joy as you look around and experience all that God has given you. Everything's an opportunity. There's no need for us to divide our lives into these two categories of this is spiritual and this is all the rest of life. No, it is all an opportunity to reorient ourselves. It's all an opportunity for us to live more God-oriented lives around everything. So, so here's the question I think we should ask ourselves this week that I think we would do well to walk out of fear and to ask ourselves in the mundane parts of our lives and the exciting parts of our lives and the difficult parts of our lives. Ask yourself this question. How is this moment training me? How is this moment training me? So I told you that we drove uh, from Tennessee uh, here, and that was super fun. And so one of the ways that we got here was we drove through Atlanta, and we got stuck in the traffic there. And I, I just want to say, look, I know that we come from a Protestant tradition, and I've never really thought about this much, but like sitting in that traffic has led me to believe that maybe, maybe purgatory is real. And it's in Atlanta. That's where it is. We found it. That's why there's so many cars there, right? Like, that's it. We found purgatory. It's right there. But, you know, as I'm, as I'm there in traffic, I find myself getting frustrated because we're not moving. We're not going anywhere. And then some people, they get in the emergency lane, and then they try to get back into traffic. And I'm like, well, kill them, right? We all agree. Kill them, right? Like, and so I just, I find myself getting frustrated. But this is a moment where I need to stop and ask, how can I use this moment to train myself in patience and graciousness? Like, is God giving me an opportunity? And the answer is yes. How can I train myself in patience? How can I train myself to be gracious to the drivers that are around me? This is an opportunity to even turn my driving habits more God-oriented than they were before. To be closer to him in that moment. There, recently, someone um, spoke, uh, spoke hurtful things to me. And immediately what happened in my mind, because I knew this person well, was like, I know exactly what to say to get you back, Right? Like, I know, I know all of the buttons to push. I know exactly what to say to make you feel worse than you just made me feel. But maybe this is an opportunity to say, how can this moment train me in self-control? How can this moment train me in loving honesty? Not just honesty, all right? Loving honesty with this person, right? Again, every moment is a moment for us to train in godliness, a moment for us to reorient our lives around God and say, God, how do you want me to live in this moment? How do you want me to live like this? How can I be close to you? How can I walk with you through this? In my workplace and in my family and in my home, how can I walk with you through this? Everything is a moment like that. So how is this moment training me? Maybe you're on the verge of procrastinating again with a project that you dislike. Maybe stop and ask yourself, how can I respond in this moment in a way that will help train me in perseverance and help train me in faithfulness? Or, or maybe you're grumbling through daily chores at your workplace or in your home or wherever it is. How can I use this moment to train myself in gratitude and give thanks to God? Or maybe you're in the middle of an incredibly like heavy pressure day and, and there's a need that rises up in front of you. There's somebody that needs your attention. There's somebody that you could help. This is a moment to stop and say, is God using this moment to train me in kindness? To train me in putting their needs in front of my own? To train me in consideration? And is God using this moment to train me in trust? That if I give my, my life to this person like I know he wants me to, then he'll take care of me. All the other things I need to get done, he'll provide in some way. Is this a moment of training? So again, ask yourself, how is this moment training me? And why does this matter? Why do we care to live a God-oriented life? 
The reason we do is because living a God-oriented life is really about transformation. It's really about like getting close to God because when we get close to God, we get changed forever. And there's so many things in my life, I want transformation. I mean, that's why we're following Jesus, isn't it? We're saying, God, your life is better than my life. What I can do for myself is not enough. I want what you can do for me. And so I want transformation. When I think about my life, there's so many areas in my life. I want transformation. I want transformation in my marriage. I want to love my wife more like Jesus loved the church than I do, right? I want to love her better. I want to be more patient with her. I want to be more kind with her. I want some transformation there. I want transformation with my relationship with my kids. Like parents, how many times you've been out there, something, you're just weighed down by the pressures of all these other things, and then your kids are the loudest, and so what happens? All the frustration you feel about all this other stuff goes where? It goes to the loudest person in the house, doesn't it, right? And, you're, and I, don't want, I don't want that for my kids. I want, I want my relationship with my kids to be even more transformed. I want to love them like Jesus loves them. And I need that. I, that's something I can't do in me. And that's what living God-oriented lives is about. Because when we get close to him, he changes us. That's how we find transformation. It's not, I'm gonna try harder and I'm gonna do better. No, no, no. We find transformation when we say, I'm gonna be closer to you. That's what I'm gonna do. So in my marriage, God, I wanna live a God-oriented life around my marriage. I wanna be close to you in the middle of my relationship with my wife. I wanna be close to you in my relationship with my kids because if I stay close, he'll change me. He'll transform me, right? And I mean, that's what Jesus says in John 15. He uses this, this example where he says, I am the vine. Let's look at it together. I am the vine. You are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. He says, look, if you stay with me, if you abide in me, if you orient your life around me, you'll produce much fruit. I will transform your life. And so that is our goal. I think sometimes, like, we put all this pressure on us. Like, I need to transform my life. I need to do all these other things better so I can be a better father, so I can be a better husband, so I can be a better coworker, so I can be a better fill in the blank. But the, the pressure for transformation is not on us. It is on God. That is his work to do. All we do is we get close and we let him change us. All we do is we reorient our, our lives around him. We say, God, are you training me here? Because I'm open to it. Is this what's happening here? We get close and we let him do his work. I think sometimes when we think about like transformation in our lives, we get the idea of like, like we're driving a speedboat. And what I mean by that is you, you get in the boat and you go, transformation's there. I need to go there. So you crank up the engine. You got the engine. It doesn't matter what's happening around you, what's happening in the waters, what's happening with the weather. Just go. You steer it, you get yourself there. But that's not transformation. That's not what, what God does. That's not how we interact with God here. That's not what God-oriented living is like. Instead of a speedboat, it's more like a sailboat. We do everything we can do. We say, you know what, God, how are you training me in this moment? And so we, we orient our lives around him and around exercise and experiences that help us stay oriented around him. And, and we hoist the sails and we get the boat ready and we go, okay, God, do you want to do anything here? And what God is, is God is the wind. I don't, I don't call the wind. I don't control the wind. The wind determines how fast we go. The wind determines where we go and when we get there. That's all on him. 
And so in our spiritual lives, you want transformation in your life? Then this isn't about trying harder or doing better. Instead, this transformation comes when we get closer to him, when we live a more God-oriented life, when we say, God, I want to orient my life around you. I want to take my workplace, who I am in the workplace, I want to orient that around you. I want to take who I am when I'm driving my car, I want to orient that around you. I want to take who I am in my family, I want to orient that around you. Like, God, I, I, I want to, I'm putting myself here, and God, I'm waiting for you to do what only you can do, to bring that transformation. That's on him. That's on him. We're not called to do better, to try harder. We are called to be closer. That's what we're called to do, to orient our lives around and let him do his work. I mean, Philippians 1 tells us this, and I'm certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Hang on, no, no, no. He'll finish our work, right? No, no, no. His work, the work in you, that transforming power that he is, that he is at, at work inside of you, where he's transforming you into, into someone more like his son, the, the into more of a loving and considerate and, and, and happy and joy-filled and gentle and patient person. That's his work. That's not our work. And so again, our goal is to train ourselves in godliness, to, 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 to orient our lives around exercises and experiences that help us live a more God-centered life, that help us say, you know what, in this area of my life, God, you're at the, you're at the center here. I want to walk with you here. I, I want to follow you here. I want to see the world through, through your lenses here. I want to live my life like this. And then watch what he does. Watch how he changes things. Watch how he changes attitudes. Watch where he brings hope where there was no hope before. Watch how he changes relationships. Watch how he changes you. Because that's his work. We just want to be close. That's our work. So let me pray for us. Father, we are grateful. We're super grateful that you are with us. And we're super grateful that you are calling us to be close to you. Father, my, my prayer is as we... Um, go out of here today, <clears throat> that we would go out of here with, um, I hope the pressure to be better, do better, do more, I hope that's gone. And instead, we will walk out of here with a desire to just be more like God-oriented in our living, to just, just say, God, I, I, I actually want to walk with you everywhere. I, I actually, I want to think about you in my workplace, and I want, I want to think about you when I'm frustrated, and I want to think about you when I'm happy, and I want, to, I want to think about you when it comes to how I interact with my kids. And God, I just, I just want to be close. Would you replace that pressure to do better with the desire to be closer? And would you give us the wisdom this week that in the good moments and in the hard moments and in the confusing moments and in the painful moments to stop and say, how is this moment training me? How is this moment giving me an opportunity to reorient my life around God, around the one that's gonna bring transformation to my life? God, would you give us that wisdom? Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the work you've done in us and thank you that you will not stop that work until it's finished. 